If you're not part of the Calvary family, this might be a new story. It's one of my favorite spiritual kick-butt stories. Francis Chan tells this story about a Jesus apprentice named Vaughn. A few years ago, a missionary came to our church, Chan shared, and and told this beautiful story about sharing the gospel with a a remote tribe in Papua New Guinea. And at at the end of the story, this missionary said, I should really give the credit to Vaughn, my former youth pastor who loved me and inspired me to live for Christ and share the gospel with others. The next week, Francis said, another guy came to our church and he challenged us to start sponsoring kids living in poverty. The second speaker also concluded by saying, I'm involved in this ministry because of my youth pastor, a guy named Vaughn. (laughs) They were from the same youth group. The next week, another speaker named Dan told about his ministry at a rescue mission. And afterwards, Chan casually mentioned to him, you know, it's so weird. The last two weeks of our missions conference, both of our speakers mentioned how much impact their youth pastor Vaughn had in them. And and Dan looked kind of surprised and said, I, I know Vaughn. He's a pastor in San Diego now. He takes people into the dumps in Tijuana where kids are picking through the garbage. I was just with him there. We'd walk in the city and these kids would run up to him and he'd show such deep love and affection for them. He'd hug them, give them gifts and food, even figure out how to get them showers. Francis, it was eerie. The whole time I was with Vaughn, I kept thinking if Jesus was on earth, I think this is what it would feel like to walk with him. He just loved everyone he ran into and he would tell them about God. People were drawn to his love and affection. And then Dan said this, the day I spent with Vaughn, was the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. And that story grabs my heart and it makes me ask, would anyone say that about me? If I could come to the end of my life and have someone say, wow, I imagine that if I spent a day with him, it would be a bit like spending a day with Jesus. That's my prayer for us. And and to be honest, it's the ultimate goal of this podcast, More Than Bread. If, if we keep going into Scripture, into the Word of God to listen and learn, but we never lean into it, we never apply it, we never let it change us, transform us, then, then it's been a colossal waste of my time and yours. So welcome to episode number 202 of More Than Bread. We're in the midst of a chapter on Paul's letters from prison, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote them while he was in prison at Rome, and we finished Ephesians, and this episode brings chapter, brings begins, excuse me, chapter two of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. And you know, I don't know if if we're looking for some words from God that will challenge us to change and be a bit more like Jesus, Philippians two is not a bad place to start. I'm going to start by reading Philippians two one through eleven. Just listen. Uh, I'm reading from the New International Version. And and as I read, just ask the Spirit of God to let anything that is for you just kind of sink a little bit deeper into your heart and your mind, your soul, than the rest of it. Paul writes, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any if any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, 
something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, instead, he he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I know some of you who listen to me, but I don't know who is listening to me at this very moment. So when I say this, I'm not talking specifically to you about you, more generally about us. But can I tell you what I know about us? right now, we are probably the most messed up people on the face of the earth, and we are loved so deeply by a most amazing God. In fact, the Apostle John said in 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, lavished, poured out, like Lynn pours out her love on our grandkids and everyone else around her. The way the groom looks at his bride as she comes down the aisle, the fierce sacrificial love of a parent for a child on the run, lavished, relentlessly loved with a fierce love. Listen, that's his voice you hear whispering child, come home. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, Paul describes it as being covered in his love. We we hit that a, a while back. Let, let, let that just settle in again, covered in his love, lavish love, covered in his love. We, we give our hearts to so many distracting, condemning, shaming voices, but fill your heart with Father's voice of love right now. He sees you. His hand is with you. His heart is for you. Our hope is in his love. Have you ever gone through a season of time, a chapter in your life where it seemed like God was just doing demolition work in parts of your heart that you thought were in pretty good shape? And I feel like that's been my season for the last few years. And and I believe it's all in response to the prayer of my heart for the last eight years or so. A decade ago, the prayer prayed all the time was, God, would you put me in the place where you can use me the best? I don't know about you, but I, I have a deep desire. I, I did, I still do, a deep desire to be used by God for great things. But then through a difficult time of transition and some coaching from a spiritual mentor, God changed my prayer to God put me in a place where you can love me the best. In other words, I want your love, not the great things that I do. I want your love to be the one and only distinguishing factor of my life. And that's the prayer, believe it or not, that brought the demolition work. The prayer that has led to good hard times. Because if, listen, if we want to experience more of God's love, It's our hearts that need to change. He can't love you any more than he already does. And this is our hope. The promise of Father God's love is the hope of our transformed life. We hope in his love, and and that hope changes us. Uh, the, The hope that changes us is our hope in the unrelenting, lavish love of Father God. Because of his love, we have a deep and certain hope that one day I will be like Jesus. You will be like Jesus. So, So ask yourself this week, how will I be more like Jesus? And I want to encourage you to get specific. Are there hard spots in my heart that need to soften? People I need to forgive? Do, do I need to be less distracted? Would Jesus ever be on his phone if a person was in his presence? Dallas Willard described being a Jesus apprentice as learning from Jesus how to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. <laughs> what would change if he were I? Would I be more devoted to prayer, more generous and less worried? Would, would I be as grumpy in the morning? <laughs> 
Would there be as many idiots on the road if I was driving with Jesus' heart? Would my work goals change? My anger subside? Would I encourage others? Would I have more hope? How would I be known in my neighborhood? I mean, ask yourself, let's, let's lengthen it out a bit. How will I be more like Jesus in the next 30 days? What is your plan? What is our plan to become more like Jesus in the next 30 days? In Philippians 2, Paul is basically laying out a be a bit more like Jesus plan for his friends in Philippi. Listen again to his challenge. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit of God, any affection and sympathy, if there's anything out there that's good, that comes from God, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Everything Paul describes there is for our relationship with people, others, encouragement, affection, sympathy. How are you doing with those three? Encouragement, affection, sympathy. How are you doing with those three? Do nothing from selfish ambition and humility. Consider others as more significant than yourself. So so let me poke a bit more on that be more like Jesus question by asking a what if. What, What if Jesus lived in my house? Or zoom out a bit. What if Jesus lived in my neighborhood? The humble always looking out for others, Jesus. The encouraging, sympathetic Jesus. The Jesus who always makes you feel like you are the most important person in the world. Take take a moment and imagine an open spot in your neighborhood. Last Seawall Sunday, you walked past that empty spot and you wondered who would fill it up. And maybe you even prayed for them. And then move-in day comes, a little truck pulls up, not much stuff. Single guy, early 30s, always got a smile. So one day you walk over to meet him. After all, you're pre- preacher won't stop talking about being a good neighbor. You introduce yourself and he tells you his name. His name is Jesus, Jesus from Nazareth, creator, savior, son of God. How would that change your neighborhood? I'm not talking about some crazy guy who thinks he's Jesus. What would you do with next door Jesus? Here's what I think. It probably wouldn't take more than a day or two to get past the what does he think of me phase moving quickly into the And I just love being with him, Faze. Can we get together, Jesus? If Jesus lived next door, I think we would do absolutely everything we could to introduce him to absolutely everyone we know, because there's no one quite like Jesus. And if he lived in my house, well, doesn't he live in our house? And isn't that the point? Isn't this Paul's challenge in Philippians 2, 5 through 8? Have this mind in you. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humanity and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. Have this mind in you. The mind of Christ is ours, in Christ. You know, when I think about what Jesus did with a group of ordinary people in three plus years, and they were transformed into relentlessly loving Jesus apprentices, I I read the book of Acts and I'm blown away by what three years of undiluted Jesus will do. But listen, what they had is nothing compared to what we're offered. They were with Christ. But we are 
in Christ. Christ is in us so that wherever we are, there he is. So so why does hope falter? Why isn't Jesus in us amazing people in every neighborhood where we live? I was thinking about that question. I felt like God led me to Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. See, here I think is part of the problem. We're trying to be like Jesus without being crucified with Christ. But what if we can't get to resurrection hope? What if we can't become more like Jesus without the surrendered life of the cross? I mean, what empowered the holy, the, the, the early church was that they practiced both the surrender of the cross and the hope of resurrection. What if the only thing keeping Jesus from my neighbors is that I'm not willing to surrender? I'm not willing to die to myself. You know, if you're following along with me in real time, it's almost Christmas. It's almost December. <laughs> Still a little ways till Christmas. But I can't read Philippians 2 without thinking, you know, this is really Paul's version of the Christmas story. So let me ask you this question. What if Christmas was more like Jesus? I mean, if Christmas was more like Jesus, I would have to say it would be a day of surrender. I mean, ponder for a moment these descriptions of Christ specifically tied to the incarnation, tied to Christmas, tied to his coming to earth and becoming human. Christmas, he was emptied of his entitlements. What he deserved, he did not hold with a death-like grip. He emptied himself. He didn't grasp for power, privilege, or place. Laying aside his glory and leaving home, he was formed as a servant. He took on the the nature, the morph. The Greek word is the morph. He morphed into a servant. In Mark 10, it says, whoever wants to become great must become a servant because this is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve and not be served. And my goodness, don't we, don't we want that to be some sort of metaphor? I mean, uh, sure, Christ came to serve, Jesus came to serve and not to be served, but that was a temporary interruption in the normal experience of his life. And now seated at the right hand of God with a name that ranks number one in the universe, he is able once again to take his rightful place amongst the ranks of those who are served. But I don't think this is what Paul is saying. What if serving, what if servanthood was not a temporary interruption for Jesus? What if it was a deeper revelation of the character of God? In other words, what if Jesus came as a servant not to hide the fact that he was God, but to show us who God really is? He took the form of a servant and was humbled on a cross. That that Greek word humble, it, it literally means low. It is there any other trait like humility that God values so differently from us? We we run from humility while God goes to battle against the pride, against the proud. I mean, we can barely get our minds around the idea that we're not the center of the world. It, it almost seems wrong not to fight for my rights like it's weak. I should gain all I can if I deserve more than I have. But for Jesus, don't miss this. Humility is the pathway to life, to hope, humble surrender. Letting go is the way to gain. So in the next 30 days, what will I quit grasping? What do I deserve that I'm willing to surrender? Jesus surrendered. He didn't grip tightly all that belonged to him. He didn't grasp for his place, his power, his privileges. He he let go. He surrendered. Open hands. So what are you grasping? What are you hanging on to that needs to be surrendered? What, what will we let go? I'm convinced we cannot become more like Jesus without 
letting something go. <laughs> not, not because we don't deserve it, per, perhaps not even because it's bad, but simply because he's worthy and there's a better way to find life. What if every great move of God starts in a moment of surrender? John Orberg shares about some friends in the Midwest from the outside. It, it looked all good. Successful lawyer, gorgeous home for a stay-at-home mom. Her name was Eileen, but her husband was an alcoholic, and she had no hope. One day, a neighbor invited their daughter to a gathering in their home. They called it a backyard Bible club. And when her daughter came home, she found out that the people at the club had talked to her daughter about Jesus, which really bothered Eileen. She was not into religion. Frankly, she was upset that it had happened at all, but her daughter just could not stop talking about Jesus. Eileen couldn't sleep that night. She got up at midnight, opened a drawer to find a Bible that had never been read, she saw that it had an Old Testament and a New Testament. She had no idea what that meant, but figured the New Testament must be the upgraded version. So she started there. She read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. She finished the Gospel of John at about three in the morning. And in her words, I just fell in love with this man, Jesus. And what the disciples are doing, that's what I want to do. I'm telling you, when you get immersed in his story, hope arises. Soon after, her husband's law firm made him go to AA, and, and through someone at AA, he met Jesus, her husband met Jesus, and God gave him the power to quit drinking. Jesus gave birth to hope, but every great move of God, personal, individual, community, communal revival, personally or corporately, every great move of God starts with a moment of surrender. I mean, think of the move of God that came from Christ's surrender. Listen to Paul's words again in verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what I want for each of us, that we would see Jesus for who he really is and that our surrender would start a great move of God. Listen, I have this feeling deep in my gut that has been working its way up into my heart and my head. I believe we are entering into a season where we will see God doing the impossible, a season where the King of Kings is lifted up for the glory of God the Father. But it will not happen without surrender. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for each and every person listening. God, thank you that you are God who has lavished his love upon each and every one of us. We're covered in your love. God, we're, we're not trying to be like Jesus out of fear. We're not dealing with shame. You, you've taken all that away by your love, by your amazing, amazing love. But God, because of your love, because you love us, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like your son. Would you help us to be humble? Would you help us to open up our hands and our arms and let go of whatever it is that we need to surrender? God, I pray that, that the point would come where, like Jesus said, that we are known as followers of Jesus by the love that we have for each other. God, that we are known as followers of Jesus by the love that we have for each other. We've been too easily divided, too easily angered. Would you help us to love each other? Would you help us to humble ourselves, consider others as being even more significant than we are? Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that we are in you and you are in us. 
May it be evermore the case in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.